T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is NFL Nuts Sunday with Ryan Hannibal, Kirk Minahan, Rich Keith, and Christian Fourier. The ultimate football podcast. Let's get started with NFL Nuts Sunday. Now here's Ryan Hannibal. Welcome back to the Not Sunday podcast. We've had him on before, but now he's Mr. Big Time, Mike Giardi, now with NFL Network. Mike, thanks for uh, coming back on. I am uh, extremely popular, incredibly busy, and I make time for no one, Hannibal. So you are uh, on that small in that small group. And now you wear ties. I've never seen you with a tie before on TV, but now every time you look sharp with these ties. It sucks. I hate it. Literally, I think it makes me my head look like Andy Hart's head, like 10 pounds bigger. I'm surprised you didn't plug nine tailors there. Uh, well, I mean, look, obviously... Best dressed man in the Boston media because of nine tails. You still you still with them? They still give me good ties, good suits. Oh, absolutely! In fact, I got uh, I got three suits I have to pick up this week. There you go. Some look from something the fans look forward to some some more uh, more casual wear from Mike Jarrett on TV. Baby. Yep. All right, let's get to it. Josh Gordon, what are your thoughts? Do you think the Patriots needed this guy? What do you think? Do I think they needed him? I think they needed something like him because I think that what they've shown you, even in their week one win, is really struggling with a, without having a boundary receiver. Chris Hogan's not that guy. Philip Dorsett's not that guy. I, I, you know, they're both NFL players in the right system. Hogan, we've seen it, um, has been a, a productive player. But when you start to concentrate a little bit more when Chris Hogan's going one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey or A.J. Bouye, you're, you're not going to win those matchups. Um, and look, that's in part because they put a lot of faith in Kenny Britt, uh, especially, but they also put faith in Malcolm Mitchell. They put faith in Jordan Matthews, who's more of an inside guy than an outside guy. But And then they, I mean, they even went down the wheel, as we know, and, and they tried to, down the dial, rather, and tried to get Eric Decker. And we saw that he couldn't play anymore. So I think they, for a bunch of different reasons, they got themselves into this place where they have to take this risk. And I know people say, well, it's, you know, high reward, low risk, because what are you really giving up? Well, they, they, they like their draft picks, and they've been throwing around a lot of draft picks at problems lately to try to fix them. Um, you know, do you find uh, all-stars, in the, you know, all pro bowlers in the fifth round? Not often, but again, they just they keep whittling away at that because of some of their misses. So there is, to me, uh, an air of desperation to it, you know, a little bit, for sure. Yeah, no, to me, it's an indictment of their mistakes this whole offseason. I mean, since since March, new league year, they made 28 transactions at wide receiver. And yeah, some of them weren't their fault. You mentioned a couple of them, Malcolm Mitchell, you know, Kenny Britt, Jordan Matthews, some injuries that you couldn't see happening. But they've also brought in a lot of guys the last couple of weeks that they've, you know, helped to hope to plug to fill in the place. 
and those guys haven't worked out, and so that left them with the the taking a chance on Gordon. So uh, do, do you think that they've, you know, and again, I think having Jordan, Gordon come on, there's a risk there too. Like say he doesn't work out, you're you're wasting a week, you're wasting a draft pick. It, it just seems like desperation. And at this point, it's more of an indictment on them missing that they have to take a chance on a guy like Gordon. I, I mean, I go back to, uh, you know, nobody really cares about the wide receiver coach, Chad O'Shea, but he's done a pretty nice job trying to cobble together this group and, before the season started, I said, I mean, can we can we be honest about this? Can we say that this is not what you planned? And he's like, you know, yeah, right. And then, you know, but oh, my guys, look, they, they definitely got themselves into this place. I will quibble with one thing you said there. Counting on Kenny Britt, I don't think that made sense. Like, you can't predict his injury. Well, no, actually, if you go back and look at his career, you can predict a lot of different things with Kenny Britt. And I know, you know, they like him and... Um, you know, supposedly we're going to have him in for a workout on Monday before they make this move for Gordon, but it's just, I think you, you took a, I think to me that was a, that was a bigger risk than, than you tried to make it out to be, or, or they tried to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Gordon. I get on, I can get on board with that. I'm just saying that, you know, injuries that happen over the course of training oh, game, but you, sure. you could even go back to you know, the Brandon Cooks trade. I mean, sure, everyone knows why they traded him, but what they got in return is Isaiah Wynn, who's on IR, and then I think they traded that other draft pick. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things down the road, that could work out, but this year you're not reaping the benefits. And then Danny Amendola, I mean, I, I, I think if they gave him a couple million dollars more, he's probably staying here in New England, and you're not having this conversation right now bring in Josh Gordon because you have all these receivers. So, you know, I just think that these moves going back to the offseason impacted, you know, what they're doing right now because, let's be honest, if they're 2-0 and the offense is looking, you know, like it did in, in the past, they're not trading for Josh Gordon today. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Amendola question to me is one of, like, you know, we talk about all the time and they get praised for, you know, value for a player, put the value on a player. And, and look, it's, it's worked. For the better part of two decades, it's worked. But without him, I think what you saw, especially in Jacksonville, to me was a surprising lack of, of toughness offensively. And he, uh, he, you know, yes, I'm like Cordell Patterson, who's this just freak. He looks like a tight end, you know, and up close, he's just like a big dude. But he doesn't bring that same level of physicality and toughness as the uh, five foot nothing. Hundred and nothing, Danny Amendola did, and um, you know I think that I don't know how high how high you should have gone for him, but clearly they should have been a little bit more in the ballpark for what Miami did than uh, than what they offered, and they missed him. They missed they missed that that element of toughness. Yeah, uh, and obviously, obviously they missed they missed element and the element of toughness there. Mm-hmm. Probably all the more reason why coming off the knee injury. Maybe you should have extended yourself a little bit more for Amendola. I'm with you. I don't think they would ever have gone six million. That's for sure. But I think if they were somewhere in that ballpark, even you know, just over a million short, I think Amendola is coming back just because of how much he likes Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, everything like that. Now, now let's get to Gordon. I think you know a lot of people. You know, Patriots Twitter has all these high expectations. Blah blah blah. <laughs> 
to me, anything you get from him is a positive. I mean, he hasn't been much on the field since 2013. You don't know what's going to happen off the field. I, I think anything you get from him, no matter how many games he plays, how many catchers, how many passes he catches, it's all a bonus to me. It's really hard to put any expectations on him. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much, especially early on. I mean, you know, we've we've obviously trotted out the numbers quite a bit over the last month or so about you know players. I kind of targeted players after August first that they signed and the sort of contributions they've made to the team when they missed all of the offseason stuff and uh, some over all of training camp. And the numbers are terrible. I mean, Doug Gabriel had the best regular season that anybody acquired who fit that mold in a regular season. That twenty-five catches. That same year, Gaffney had 11 in 11 games and then went bananas in the playoffs to get 21 catches in three games in the playoffs. But it just goes to show you that after that, the next highest guy was Philip Dorsett with 12 catches last year. So you just, it, it's, this offense is so precise and they ask so much of their guys and there's three, four, five different options on every single play. And, you know, they're, they're talking to some people in Cleveland. One of the knocks on Gordon, never mind all the off-the-field stuff, which is obviously huge because it prevented him from being on the field, he's not a precise route runner. He's gotten away with he's bigger, stronger, physically more gifted than than pretty much anybody who plays that position. Um, and now the question becomes, how much did he lose having not played, having, having played just 11 games since the start of 2014? You know, what did it look like for him? And how much will... Brady tolerate if he's not precise. And again, that's the knock on him. One of the knocks on him on the on-field stuff is he's not a precise route runner. In fact, go back to game one, Tyrod Taylor's interception. I was told Todd Haley put that interception on Gordon and not on Taylor. So, you know, that is what it is. Take that for what you want to, but I think there's, there's a lot of questions about that sort of consistent impact that he'll make for them. One more thing on Gordon. I guess the argument you could make of him working out in New England is how serious the culture is and how all about football it is and that if he does buy in, he could use football in a sense to turn his life around and get things back on track that way just because of how, how serious they take the program and how, how much devotion you need to put into the playbook and all that. Do you buy into that, that maybe New England was the best place for Gordon to, to turn his career around? Well, look, he's never been pushed like he's going to be pushed. Starting tomorrow morning, he's probably started already. But starting tomorrow morning, he's going to get put through the ringer. And you know this, you talk to guys that have come in and what they do, especially when you come in after it's all started. Like, he's going to be forced to work harder than anybody else, not just physically, but mentally. They're going to ask him to stay long after everyone else is gone and just stick his head in that playbook. And that, he didn't get asked of that at Delaware. He didn't get asked of that at, at Utah. He sure as hell didn't get asked about that and for that at Cleveland. So, uh, And for someone who a lot of people say doesn't love football, it's not the most important thing to him, it's not even one of the most important things to him, I wonder how he'll react. Um, and we've heard all these wonderful, like, well, he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. Um, and those demons, are, as we well know, are really hard to get away from the office field stuff. But I just wonder, too, if the culture might be too much for him. So we'll see. We'll see how he adjusts to it because he's going to get talked to in a way that he probably hasn't been talked to in a long time, at least not by coaches. 
Let's get to the, the Patriots on the field. Uh, obviously, they, they struggled down in Jacksonville on Sunday. After rewatching the game and you know the, the all twenty twos and all that, what were your takeaways from the game? What, what was your biggest concern after rewatching things? Um, I di- I didn't think that they were. I don't think they were too far off offensively. I mean, look, they they, they clearly had some struggles on third down. Um, you know, breakdown here, breakdown there. And you look, I know people always say that about every play, but no, like you're talking about, like, that's a play that guy usually makes. You know, uh, Trent Brown has shown that he can handle that pressure, and then, you know, on a big third down spot, he doesn't. And for Joe Tooney and David Andrews, a little miscommunication. So I, I don't think the offense was too far off from having its usual, uh, you know, 28, 30, 31 point game. It was what happened on the other side of the ball. Uh, that I mean, it's got to concern you. Um, they didn't do a good job of keeping Bortles in the pocket when he was in the pocket, especially after Trey Flowers went down early. He had a clean pocket a lot. Um, there were some late hurries in there, but I, I don't think they affected him nearly as much as they needed to and nearly as much as people had hoped based on what it looked like in week one. And... and Conference. I mean, Burrow gets benched. McCourty was better, but I mean, not all that much better. Um, I thought the only guy in the secondary who really played a, a good game was Gilmore, and he gets beat for the touchdown early on. So uh, they, they just had all kinds of problems. And as I'm talking around this, the biggest concern to me was that linebacker level. Those guys, I know Van Noy had the interception, but uh, they they couldn't cover a soul. There was there was a lot of space underneath, and a lot of times it was in their area, whether they were man or zone. And Bortles was just as content to flick it right there and take the you know the five yard completion and hope for the yak than he was at you know launching the ball down the field trying to make a big play that way. So, uh, I, and I don't know if that can be corrected. I mean, you, you assume Bentley gets better with time, um, but I think we know what Atlanta Roberts is. Uh, we know what Kyle Van Noy is, and I don't know that we know what Dante Hightower is anymore because I haven't thought that he's looked good in either the first two weeks of the year, nor did I think he looked good in the preseason. I'm completely with you on Hightower. That's my next question. I mean, just watching things back, he doesn't look like the same player that we've seen from him in the past. Looks a little slower. Granted, he did miss you know most of last year with the injury, but he's been on the field all summer and even in the preseason games I can't remember a play that stood out that said hey that was a great play by Hightower and I don't know if it's him just working things back and working the rust off but the Patriots defense and linebacking core they need him back to the player that he was you know before all these injuries because like we saw on Sunday things can go south pretty quick well do you remember I know you remember because you were there the training camp was they were doing a one-on-one pass rushing drill I forget who he locked up with but he immediately, like, he, like his whole body sort of went limp. Mm-hmm. That he did something to himself. And there was, I know there was a tweet from Jerry Thornton about, like, someone said that, you know, he hurt his leg and he needs to get it checked out. And, you know, they denied things and, like, that happened. But I feel like he is not, um, that he wasn't looking well before. And I don't feel like he's, he's improved in that. And you wonder if he's got something with a lower body. I mean, we know the knee is not right. The knee's never going to be right. He's going to have to deal with that the rest of his life. But you thought, well, maybe, you know, if you take a year off, 
then maybe there is some side benefit there. You don't want to miss time, but you're basically gone for a year. You know, does the knee benefit from that? And it, it doesn't look like it did. Mm-hmm. Can't let you go. I want to ask you about your your guy Jimmy G and his start in San Francisco. I know you've always had an eye on those 49ers games, even with the Patriots games going on. What are your thoughts on Jimmy and how, how has he handled the first couple of games as the franchise quarterback? Yeah, I mean, look, the the the, the numbers weren't great. The three picks in, in week one and a couple of those throws were regrettable throws. You know, you know, he would like them back. But my argument on the flip side of that was. I think everybody thought Minnesota's not the best team in the NFC, one of the two or three best teams in the NFC. That place is really hard to play, and you went there, and you had a drop touchdown pass from Pierre Garçon. Another uh, what would have been, if not a touchdown, like a 50-yard gain to George Kittle, who had no one around him, and he dropped it. And you only lost by eight. Like, you were in the mix. So, it wasn't pretty. I thought he cleaned up a lot of stuff against Detroit. It looked better. I think it's going to get better. But I think when you look what's around him, we're having this conversation like, who, who has the worst targets? Is it Brady or is it Garoppolo? And Garoppolo didn't have good one last week, and they managed to beat Detroit, which may not be in a good shake. Detroit is not looking all that good. But, um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there are going to be some peaks and valleys there just because I, I don't think that's a really good collection of receivers. Mm-hmm. Well, since you're a big shot now and gone national, I, I got to promote your stuff. You can, you can see Mike every weekend on NFL Network's Game Day Morning, every Sunday, 9 a.m., and then during the week on NFL Up to the Minute at 4 o'clock Eastern. Mike, wow. think, I know. You're, you're, you're big time. You're getting, <laughs> getting plugs on podcasts. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, Mike, well, thanks a lot. We'll see you later. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.